thinkers. Welcome to this week's Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wu. And I'm Michael. And we're really excited to have Dr. Jason Fung today as our guest. And he's a Toronto-based nephrologist, uh, but he's you know made waves as the author of The Obesity Code. And it's really making waves in the nutritional space and the fasting space and has laid out a new way of thinking about weight, diet, and, uh, and, 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 and daily regimens. Um, so we're excited to have, have you here and, and dive into some of the ideas and, and get your thoughts on, on, on the whole biohacking movement. I think one thing that I want to start off with is that um, I think for a lot of our community members and our listeners, we came to this notion of intermittent fasting from an enhancement perspective where I think, you know, we were always relatively healthy people. Um, most biohackers are generally into fitness, into increasing their cognitive performance. And one of the interesting notions that we stumbled upon when we're looking to nootropics and other interventions was that fasting was one of the most compelling ways to increase adult neurogenesis and very interesting uh, data uh, around ketone metabolism for brain function, cognitive function. And it's interesting to see that you know, you've come to intermittent fasting from a weight loss perspective um, and wanted to, you know, I guess lay it out and start from there. Um, what brought you into, you know, nephrology into diets and intermittent fasting? Yeah, it's quite interesting because the thing about it is that it's I um, so I deal with kidney disease. That's my specialty. And by far and away, the most common cause of kidney uh, disease is diabetes, type 2 diabetes specifically. And I spent a lot of years just treating people with dialysis, that kind of thing. And it, it kind of dawned on me that we weren't really doing a lot of good. That is, that we could treat their their kidney disease, but we couldn't, they were still getting it, right? And so they're still sick. And it was kind of obvious after a while to see that if you have diabetes, which is causing kidney disease, then obviously you don't want to treat the kidney disease. You really want to treat the diabetes, right? Isn't that like super obvious? It is to me now, but it wasn't then. And it's because they tell people, including doctors, that type 2 diabetes is a chronic and progressive disease. But it's not. It's actually completely reversible. Because, again, and everybody already knows this, that if you lose weight, then your diabetes goes away, right? So if it's completely reversible, then why don't you reverse it? So that's kind of how I got into it. So I started first by saying, okay, how are you going to reverse the diabetes? Well, you got to fix the obesity. Then how are you going to fix the obesity? Because, again, it's one of these things that everybody seems to have given up on. Right, because the current treatment paradigm is so bad, that is cut a few calories here and there, uh, portion control, eat less, move more, which is what every single person, medically, medical person, doctors, dietitians tells you. It's so abysmally bad, the, the results, that everybody's kind of given up. Well, obviously you can't treat it. Well, it's like, okay, but the, the disease of obesity has only been here for like 35 years, right? Since the mid 70s. Obviously, it's not a genetic disease. I have all these people talking about the genetics of obesity. It's like, you're so wrong because our genetics have not changed, right? And again, yeah, I think if you look at like, a, I think there's an interesting graphic that you really show like the curves, like a viral, like infestation of obesity, like 
growing yeah, yeah about 30 years ago and like the curve just like spiking just 30 years ago yeah if it was a genetic condition we should always you know two-thirds of americans or people should should be fat and it's clearly not the case exactly you know a hundred years ago. and it's the same with india and china and places like this that have become westernized we're seeing exactly the same sort of thing and again there's no possible way that anything genetic has anything to do with what has happened so it therefore it must be a diet lifestyle so then you, that's what you have to fix so for all the money that we spent on the genetics of obesity, it's not useful, right? And I don't know why nobody right. kind of gets that. So then you have to go back to what causes obesity. And it turns out that calories is really the wrong thing to be talking about because calories, um, it, your body just doesn't care about calories, right? Yeah, calories in does not equal calories out is yeah one of the key taglines, yeah. You reduce your calories in, your calories out goes down. Okay, done that for a hundred years. If you eat less, your metabolism slows, right? It's just like if you earn less money, then you will spend less money, right? They're they're not independent, and it's the same thing for the body. And this is the reason that these weight loss solutions never work because you reduce your calories, your body reduces calories out, you don't lose weight, the weight comes back, and that that was really the thing. So it's not a caloric problem. And and what are some of the ways your body reduces? the calorie expenditure there? Well, it's called the basal metabolic rate. So you can measure that. And that's the energy that it takes to, um, to keep, you know, generate body heat, keep your heart working, keep your brain working, all that kind of stuff. So the thing is that this is why people on a diet just feel like crap because they are expending less energy. So your brain is getting less energy. Your heart's getting less energy. You're feeling cold. You, so you feel like crap. And the worst part is that you're not losing weight. And despite this complete failure, all the kind of obesity gurus just keep harping about calories. Well, does your body count calories? No. Does your body somehow have some kind of sensor for calories? No. So then who the hell cares about calories, right? What the body actually cares about is hormones. That's the language of the body. So certain hormones tell us to store energy as fat and certain hormones will tell us to burn it and get our brain working better, right? And so you have to fix the hormonal problem. And that's how I kind of came to it. But more specific to your uh, group, um, I recently released a second book called The Complete Guide to Fasting, which is kind of a follow-up to the obesity code. So the obesity code talks all about obesity and to a smaller extent type 2 diabetes uh, and one of the solutions that works very well is intermittent fasting, as well as low-carbohydrate diets, ketogenic diets, and so on. Yeah, I wanted to jump in here and ask, so um, kind of related to the homeostasis question, right? If you have less calorie intake, then your body sort of naturally adapts. It's very hard to get your, I mean, the body is a well-adapted machine to balance itself out. So one of our uh, community members actually asked, well, Intermittent fasting is a timing version of caloric restriction. So why is intermittent fasting um, different from just like less calories in? Yeah, it's completely different, right? And this is the thing that always gets me. The frequency of anything is not irrelevant. That is to say, if you jump off a one-foot wall a hundred times, it's completely different than jumping off a 100-foot wall once. You jump off that wall, you die. You do a hundred uh, of these one-foot things, you don't die. Okay, so it's completely, uh, completely different. If you have 
the average temperature of Death Valley, California is 25 degrees Celsius. Oh, hey, great place to go for a vacation, right? No, you're going to like die in the day and freeze your ass off at night, right? So <laughs> I don't understand why calories should be completely like, oh, frequency doesn't matter. Well, it matters in everything, right? This is the same thing, right? It's not about calories. We have to get it out of our minds. Calorie reduction has, has nothing. It has nothing to do with the body. The body just doesn't measure it, doesn't count it, doesn't have anything to do with it. Right. The only thing that matters is the hormonal signals that it gets. So the question is, eating the same number of calories all at once versus spread out you know, over the 16 hours of your waking day, is there a difference? Yes, there's a huge hormonal difference between the two. If you look at the way that hormones are secreted, they're, they're not spread out evenly throughout the day. There, there's a burst and then it stops. So why does it matter? Well, think about the story of the boy who cried wolf, right? So the way our body works is we react to change. And if something is constant, then we basically zero it out, okay? So if that boy cries wolf, then everybody starts to ignore him. That's just the way it works, right? So if you yell at your kids the first time, they go, whoa, you know? When you yell all the time at the kids, they're like, yeah, whatever, right? Uh, this is the same thing. It's homeostasis. Your body gets used to a certain level. You see a baby sleeping in an airport. It's loud, but he's sleeping soundly. You put the same baby in a quiet house and, you know, the slightest creak of the floorboards, you know, that baby's up and crying and you're like, oh my God, right? So this is the thing that your body actually adapts. So if you keep a high level of insulin all the time, which is the major hormone that we're talking about with obesity, you develop insulin resistance. Yeah, I think that's one thing that I, I think it's interesting where there's people that recommend eating six or eight meals a day, constantly eating. Yeah. And given like... Our understanding and especially how you talk about insulin as a primary driver for obesity in your book i think you make a very good argument it is the causal ultimate cause it's like you're literally that is bad for people because you're constantly having insulin spikes uh throughout the day and you're, you're basically if you're eating six eight meals a day that's like literally that's like bad for people which i think is very very interesting yeah. Right. And if you think about it logically, it's like, well, how are you going to gain weight? Well, eat all the time. That's how you're going to gain weight. Well, yeah, that's how you're going to gain weight. So why would you eat all the time? Right. Well, you shouldn't. Right. You should eat like less times like fasting. Right. And so you have this you have this notion of your body's uh, set weight and that that's triggered by insulin sensitivity. Your insulin sensitivity drives the set weight that your body is going to try to return to. Uh, could you unpack that a little bit, how that how that takes place? Yeah, in the obesity code, one of the things that doesn't really get talked about is the kind of time dependence of obesity. That is to say that if you've been obese for 30, 40, 50 years, that weight is just really, really hard to come off, right? And the carbohydrate notion, like go low carb, is great, but it doesn't really address that because your diet can change. How do you account for the fact that your body has this kind of memory? It has this kind of set weight. It doesn't, and neither does the calories. So you have to really look at the way the body works. So if you develop more and more resistance, then what's happening is that your body keeps the insulin levels high in order to try and overcome that resistance, right? This is the knee-jerk reaction, but it's actually detrimental because that high insulin tends to cause more 
resistance. So like for instance, if you listen on your headphones all the time to loud music, what happens is that you go a little deaf, so you turn up the volume, right? Great idea, right? Except that it's the high volume that's causing your deafness. So you get a little more deaf and then you turn it up again, right? And that's what the body does. The death spiral, and it's a really exactly. bad death spiral. Where exactly, just, and that's yeah. what the body does, right? So you have too much insulin, that's the primary cause because one, you're eating constantly throughout the day, and two, we're eating meals that are highly processed which tend to spike insulin. So as opposed to the 70s where we ate kind of three meals a day, we're eating my, kind of closer to six meals a day now. So that insulin's high all the time, which causes the body to become resistant to insulin. And in response, the body secretes more insulin, right? And that's your death spiral. High insulin leads to resistance, which leads to higher insulin, which leads to more resistance, right? And that's your death spiral. And meanwhile, the insulin's causing you to store the Insulin that is the signal. Fuel that you're eating. Signals to store fat, and also I think you make a good point that it's it's the counterbalance to leptin, which is the Sadie hormone. Yeah, so, the leptin I think is a um, minor player in the whole thing, which I don't spend okay. a lot of time on it because it it was people spent a lot of money researching leptin, thinking this was going to be the holy grail, but it turned out not to be. What happens in common obesity is that leptin you become resistant to leptin, and it's a question of why. So insulin is telling your body to gain fat. Fat then secretes leptin, which tells your body to lose fat, right? But the problem is if we're eating all the time, that insulin is kind of wins. And so if the leptin stays high all the time, you just become resistant to it. So if, if you want to see it right. in terms of power, what happens is that the insulin is primary, whereas the leptin is secondary. If, in, if leptin were to win, of course, then we'd all lose that weight again, which is what we want to do. But clearly it's getting overwhelmed by the insulin. Right, it seems like you're getting leptin insensitivity basically as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then you're not sensitive to it, so it's not having its effect, and that's one of the problems. But the primary reason it's not having its effect is because it's it's getting stimulated all the time, right. but it's really getting beaten by leptin, yeah. by, by insulin. Yeah. That's the reason. I think that's one thing that you're highlighting to me, and I think just with a lot of conversations for more forward thinking, more, you know, I would say just more interdisciplinary thinking, you know, medical practitioners and doctors is that it seems like a lot of the healthcare system, a lot of like the classic medical school training is very much about treating symptoms and not treating. And I think yeah. what you call the proximate causes or, or like the symptoms as opposed to the ultimate cause. And I think that you really break it down in terms of obesity in the obesity code quite nicely. I mean, I think just zooming out a little bit, why? Why is that? Why is that the structure? Because I think from an engineer's approach, and I think from you know, you know, I'm a computer scientist by training. So is Michael, and a lot of our community members uh, tend to be in more physical science or engineering disciplines. Um, that seems to be the training. Like always, go down to first principles and 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 build up the foundation from initial causes. Um, can you help unpack that and get a sense of why is the health community so just focus on sort of this? The, the last, you know, proximate cause. Yeah, and, and that's the real thing that is the problem, right? Because everybody's focused on that. It's, it's just like if you're saying, you know, why is somebody rich? Well, there's more money coming in than going out. Well, it's like that's a useless answer, right? And, or why is it so packed in this auditorium? Well, there's more people coming in than leaving. And every time you say, well, that's not helpful, right? Somebody says, 
that's the first law of thermodynamics, you know, calories in, calories out. It's a law, right? It's not just a suggestion. Like, okay, but you're, you're missing the whole point, right? Which is what you're saying is that you, you don't care so much that, yes, there's more people coming in the room than out. The question is, why are there more people coming in the room than out, right? And that's when you have to start going back. And the problem with medicine is that it's really focused on that last thing. And I think it's because it's the most obvious and it's the most kind of uh, the fastest way to make a drug kind of thing, right? It's the fast, it's like the shortcut, right? It's like, oh, here's the problem, just fix it kind of thing. And the Which problem- is interesting, right? Because people get develop insulin uh, 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 they become uh, insensitive to insulin and then we're treating it by giving them more insulin because, oh, you're not sensitive to it. So let's give you more insulin. And, and I can see insulin. Yeah. Yes. And you don't make money off of telling people that. And eat. prices of yeah. insulin have been going up and to the right over the last, what, 100 years? They've been steadily up and to the right. Um, and yeah. it might not even be the right solution. Well, the other thing is this whole calories idea. And, and you got to understand that the calories is that kind of last mild approximate cause sort of oh there's people coming more people coming in than leaving or there's more money coming in than leaving calories is the same it's that last bit but you got to realize that it's so everywhere else you can realize that that just just focusing in on the last uh, little bit is useless right but there are a lot of uh, vested interests in promoting this calories model why? Because they don't want you to know that, say, hey, sugar makes you fat. Well, everybody knows that, right? But Coca-Cola doesn't want you to say, well, you know, Coke kind of makes you fat, right? They want you to say, Coke has calories, sure, but so does your broccoli, right? So don't eat your broccoli, drink your Coke, yeah, you're good. Or they want to shift it to, oh, hey, you can drink a Coke or Gatorade, and if you run a couple miles, you're good. You're not good because your diet sucks, right? And that's the real problem. So there's a huge number of people that want you to believe, and I talk about this sometimes on my blog, uh, is that there's all these people uh, that, in fact, my last week's blog was all about how Coca-Cola actually wants you to believe all about calories, because calories is the perfect scapegoat, right? Nobody sells calories. Nobody has a brand called calories, right? So it's the perfect scapegoat. Nobody gets hurt. And you can deflect all your blame from your sugar water onto this nebulous thing called calories. And then you can say, well, you know, it's not because you drank Coke that you're fat. It's because you're sitting on your ass all day. It's like, but no, it's because you drank. Discipline, like that you yeah. just have too many of these calories. Yeah, I think that's exactly. And yeah. there's so, so for 50 years, and unfortunately, what happens is that they spent millions of dollars paying doctors, paying researchers to promote this idea that it's all about calories when your body just doesn't give two shits about calories, right? It don't care at all, right? But people want you to believe that it's all about calories. That's this question I think about a couple of the calories. A couple of the examples in your book I thought that were really interesting about that really put a point on it were the fact that uh, when you're stressed, your hormone levels change such that you're appetite and metabolism change and also pregnancy similarly affects hormonal balance and your appetite and your metabolism so it's not just your your calorie uh, usage drives your calorie intake it's obviously a hormonal system well, that's, exactly. that's driving that well look at puberty for example right so if you take a uh, boy and a girl going through puberty 
at the end of uh, puberty, that girl has about 50% more fat than the boy. Okay, that's just a fact, right? Everybody knows that. They gain fat in their breasts and their hips and so on. So what? Are 50% of the population, all girls are just, you know, lazy and gluttonous and slothful? Like hardly, right? It's clearly a hormonal signal that tells you to gain fat, right? Because they need to reproduce, right? It's a, it's a survival mechanism. It's something that you want to do. And we have this idea, no, it's about calories in, calories out. So every single girl in the world decided to eat more and exercise less to gain more fat and the boys all of a sudden didn't. It's like, come on, that's just ridiculous. Like the entire notion, when you actually think about it logically, when you think about it from a kind of scientific point of view is ridiculous. But it's just like this whole thing about eat all the time. Well, where did that come from? Like eat all the time and you'll lose weight. Okay, that doesn't even sound like it's going to work, right? Yeah, I think it really reflects onto like what are the interests, right? I think Coca-Cola, uh, the sugar lobby, the corn lobby in the United States, right? There's huge corn subsidies. There's like corn farms in the middle of our country where um, they can only survive by, by government subsidies. Uh, your general mills, your food companies, they almost, they have to be promoting like, hey, consume more things. But they've got to... They've got the money to 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 do it, right? They've, it's not just advertising, right? Advertising is fine because you and I know that when you see an ad on TV, it's paid for by Coke, right? So that's fine. The worst part is when the Coca-Cola pays scientists and doctors and influences the American Heart Association. They're taking millions of dollars. These doctors are making out like bandits, right? They're taking <laughs> millions of dollars to say that sugar's not so bad, right? And right. it's like, okay, well... You know, and I wrote about this one time. I called them traitors because really they're supposed to be looking after our health. But what they've done is taken a lot of money to say that these things, which are clearly detrimental to our health, are okay. And it's all about calories, right? Um, yeah, it's it's a real it's a real mess out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's why, like, I think your work and like, I think just having our like just grassroots community is important, right? Because like, I want to, you know, I think the. It's it's I think it's legitimately like fasting is the cheapest intervention that we can all promote, yeah. With the most outcome, with the biggest outcome, I think that ratio is you know there's no drug that we're making money off of. It's literally just like something about hey consuming less, being thoughtful about the timing of consumption, and that uh, that's free, right? And I think no one makes money off of that, which is why I think no one there's like no moneyed interest like pushing this into like people's faces well there was a very interesting documentary on the bbc a few years ago called the men who made us fat and what they showed was that this idea of eating all the time actually didn't come from science it came from cadsbury actually so <laughs> there was breakfast lunch dinner and uh, cadsbury wasn't making any money because they needed to sell snacks so they were able to introduce this kind of idea of a healthy snack Right. And they pushed it and pushed it. And over decades, it kind of morphed into this eat all the time. That's good for you. It's like, OK, when in the history of humanity have we pushed this? Like never. Right. Because people are too busy or don't have enough food to eat constantly throughout the day. And it's like it, it doesn't even sound logical. Right. It's like you cannot eat all the time. Every time you eat, you tell the body to store energy. So why would you want to do that? You're trying to let it use energy, right? So that's the thing. These commercial interests kind of get into that. But getting back to the fasting in terms of what's really interesting about it 
and uh, I think this is more uh, towards your uh, kind of uh, demographic, is that there's actually a huge number of benefits about it. So yep. once I started looking into it, and I'll tell you that when I started using this, I used it from a health and wellness, diabetes, obesity standpoint, right? And I actually didn't start with fasting. I started with low-carb diets. Total disaster, right? Nobody did what I told them to do. And part of it was that they actually just didn't understand they have certain food cultures and so on, and they didn't understand what I was talking about. So I said, I, I need to do something simpler because I'm not treating people who are on the internet like five hours a day. I'm treating 65-year-old Filipino grandmothers who really have no idea what I'm talking about and have no email, right? So I said, okay, I, I need something that's simple because they need to understand it. So then somehow I caught into some conversation with some friends and uh, fasting came up. I thought, wow, that's the dumbest idea ever, right? That's what I, my initial reaction, and that's almost everybody's initial reaction. I thought I was going to die when I did my 36-hour fast. <laughs> how do you, am I literally going to die? It's like, how are you doing that? Exactly. And and it's, it, if people have been pushed out of this idea of fasting for so long, but when you go back in history, it's all over, all over the place, right? Every single major religion has this. So that's why I said, okay, there was nobody doing it 